Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about borrowing capacity and the changes uh, that APRA made two weeks ago and as a result, uh, some changes that both ANZ and Westpac made uh, last week in respect to their benchmark interest rate. Um, before I get into that, it's really interesting to note that the banks have been relatively silent about the government's crackdown on borrowing capacity and what they call prudential lending standards um, over the last couple of years, particularly around the Royal Commission. And I guess that's of no surprise because the banks certainly didn't want to attract too much attention, nor did they want to seem like they're pushing back on tighter lending standards when uh, they had very loose, I guess, ethical standards as a result of uh, the financial advice that they've been providing over the past few decades, as highlighted by the Royal Commission. So naturally, the banks wanted to sort of uh, keep out of the limelight and uh, and just go along with the government. Uh, however, that seems to be changing now. In fact, uh, ASIC will hold some public hearings next month where the banks will be able to provide some feedback Uh, in relation to uh, ASIC's and APRA's uh, changes or potential uh, regulation in respect to borrowing capacity. And the banks have already submitted uh, written submissions uh, in relation to that. And really they've described um, the the tightening as impractical, anti-competitive and potentially damaging to the economy, I quote. Uh, So... So it's an interesting sign, I think, and, uh, you know, enough time, they must feel like enough time has elapsed between the Royal Commission and now. The Royal Commission is somewhat old news, I guess, and um, and the banks want to get back to lending uh, and they're sort of pushing back on the government to say, look, it's been a bit heavy-handed, which I think it has, uh, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, uh, so what happened? Uh, two weeks ago, APRA uh, told the banks they no longer have to use a minimum benchmark interest rate of 7.25% when testing someone's borrowing capacity. So if you're going to apply for a loan, even though the loan's interest rate might be in the threes, uh, the bank will test it, test your ability to repay that loan at, at 7.25% on a P&I principal interest basis over a 25-year period uh, if, if you're applying for an interest-only loan. Uh, so the actual repayments are more than twice uh, sorry, that the assessed repayments of that loan are, are more than double what the actual repayments might be. And that impacts on your borrowing capacity. And, and uh, the banks have argued and commentators have argued that 7.25% is a bit ridiculous given where interest rates are now and that they're trending lower and uh, most people expect them to be lower for longer. Uh as a result, uh, both ANZ and uh, Westpac said that they will adopt a different benchmark interest rate, uh, equal to 2.5% above the, the current uh, interest rate, and, and that's going to have an impact of improving borrowing capacity. So uh, a lender will, um, as I said, when, when a lender calculates borrowing capacity, essentially what they do is add up all your income, less uh, expenses and as long as there's a surplus income they'll approve the loan so employment income you know is pretty obvious they'll take it off your pay slip and look at the year-to-date amount rental income they will typically include 70 80 percent of that um, to, to make an allowance a 20 to 30 percent allowance for expenses 
living expenses, which I'll talk about in a second, uh, but you have to declare what you spend and the bank will then trawl over your bank statements for the last three months to verify that inf- that is in fact what you spend. Uh, if you have credit card limits, the bank will multiply the total limits by 3.8% and that is your monthly expense. So if you've got a $15,000 credit card, even though it's got a zero balance, the, the assumed uh, repayment on that card, if it was fully utilised, is $570 a month. So credit card limits really eat into, and more so than ever before because of changes in the way uh, the government's uh, directed banks to treat credit cards. And then mortgages, as I said, um, the loan amount times the benchmark interest rate uh, over a, typically a 25-year period if the loan is interest only, 30 if it's not. Um, and that's the, the repayments. And so it's the living expenses plus the credit card plus the mortgage repayments. That's your total expenses. If that is less than income, great. If it's more than income, forget about it. You've got no borrowing capacity. So I did an analysis to see, okay, what are, what impact um, will the, the changes that Westpac and ANZ made, what impact will it have on borrowing capacity? And it was it was. Um, really interesting. And what I did is I obviously used the same inputs, the same sort of client case study or example across all the big four lenders to calculate what surplus borrowing capacity this particular example had. Um, and uh, Westpac's borrowing capacity increased in, in this example by about 8% from 815000 to 880000 So um, reasonable. ANZ, however, its change had a much larger impact and it increased by 20%. So in this case, the client could borrow $900,000, whereas prior to this change, prior to last week, it was $750,000. So a pretty significant uplift there. Now, the reason why Westpac was lower is because Westpac made some changes to their their minimum living expense amount as well. So, so essentially, Westpac gave with one hand and took with the other by saying, here's a lower benchmark interest rate, but by the way, we're going to assume you spend a lot more money. Um, by comparison, so really that's Westpac 880, ANZ 900. By comparison, CBA is at 800 and NAB is, is at 770. So really, the range is NAB at the low end, 770. ANZ is the high end of the range at 900. A 17% difference in borrowing capacity. Pretty significant, right? Which sort of tells us that we certainly need to um, compare a number of different lenders. Now, don't conclude that uh, ANZ's borrowing capacity is always higher than NAB, for example. It's gonna, there's so many variations in policy and calculation and individual client situations that it might not always be the case. But the theme of the analysis is that, okay, the changes have had a really positive impact on borrowing capacity and what we really need, and borrowing capacity varies significantly between all the lenders. And so you really need to um, have, a th- have a thorough assessment uh, on an individual case by case basis to work out who is the best lender uh, for, a, for a given uh, particular client. Um, benchmark interest rates are uh, reducing the benchmark interest rate is good. I mean, it's good news for borrowers, particularly borrowers that currently have a lot of lending. Um, if you don't have a lot of existing lending, then the benchmark interest rates can not have too much of an impact for you. Um, but if you've got a lot of lending, it's going to be very positive. But the real problem uh, lies in uh, living expenses. 
And that is that the banks don't distinguish between discretionary and non-discretionary expenses. So, for example, if you eat out uh, every week and you spend $200 at a, at a restaurant, for example, the bank's going to assume you've got an annual commitment of $10,000 a year. And a, as a result of that increased annual commitment, your borrowing capacity reduces by around about $130,000. Now, of course, that's nonsensical because if you experience cash flow pressure, you'd either you know reduce the regularity, reduce the spend, or inc- completely eliminate it. So perhaps what the banks should be doing is uh, including 100% of non-discretionary items like utilities and food and insurance. These are the sorts of things we have to pay for. And then when it, when it comes to discretionary items, maybe they shouldn't include 100%. Maybe they should shade it and include, say, 50% to make allowances for the fact that it is, in fact, discretionary. And eating out is not a financial commitment. Uh, and so I think there needs to be a little bit of loosening or, or um, common sense when it comes to assessing a client's living expenses. Remember, the bank will go through your bank statements to ascertain how much you're spending. Uh, so, and there's not a lot of len- leniency uh, there as well. Uh, so what I did, and which you'll find in the show notes, is I charted the um, uh, the volume of new lending versus uh, changes in property prices uh, since 2002 when the data set began to try and ascertain um, what impact credit flows have on property prices. You know, is there a direct correlation or um, does it have zero impact? And interesting to note, I mean, adjusted the amounts for the impact of inflation, but interesting to note that really credit flows have been relatively volatile over that period of time since 2002, ironically when I started ProSolution. Uh, and uh, credit flows range really from 15 to $25 billion, uh, per month uh, that's coming in and out of the, the property market. And you can see the chart, as I said, we've got a link in the, in the show notes and on the blog on the website. Um, and you can see that there isn't, whilst there's not a direct, well, there's a, probably a quite close direct relationship for the last five years, but certainly before that, there's, there is a relationship, but not a perfect correlation. So I think the easing in credit will um, undoubtedly help the property market and help increase prices. You know, just the flow of new money coming to the market does that. Uh, but there's other things at play as well that we need to make sure that consumer sentiment is also sort of strong and buoyant and um, there's other things that impact uh, property uh, price growth. Uh, Interesting to note that um, the media has written about the improvement in auction clearance rates. At the beginning of this year, uh, clearance rates in Melbourne and Sydney were close to 50%. Uh, more recently, uh, they've increased to 70, 75% sort of in that, in that range. Um, but there's very few transactions. Uh, from a, a new listing, so a, a property number perspective, uh, new listings are down by 30% over the past 12 months. And from a value perspective, uh, in Melbourne, for example, 138 million of property changed hands last weekend. Uh, well below the peak market volume of uh, $1 billion. Uh, so any, any one weekend in a, in a very buoyant market, a $1 billion of property would cha- change hands. So it's really uh, less than 14% of that, uh, that amount. Uh, so it's, 
I, I don't place a lot of weight on the clearance rate, although it is a positive signal. Um, it's very difficult uh, to get a true sense of the market on such low volume data. Uh, and I think the spring market should be a good test. So if vendors start to feel the market's turned, maybe more discretionary vendors will say, okay, I, I want to sell my property and put it on the market and increase stock levels. And then it'd be interesting to see, uh, is there enough buyer demand to not only soak up those stock levels, but create some uh, price growth. Uh, one last warning is that the market can change quickly. I'm not saying it will change quickly, but it can change quickly. And prices can jump significantly from one weekend to the next for ostensibly very similar properties in similar areas. And it's difficult to ascertain for inexperienced buyers whether that move is permanent or not. And if the price movement is in fact permanent, and you don't change and adjust your own expectations accordingly, uh, it could cost you a lot more in the long run. So that is, you'll be sitting on the sidelines and by the time you realise prices have changed, they've probably changed again. So that's where it's really important, in my opinion, to be advised by a reputable and experienced buyer's agent that's going to look after your best interests and have a much better sense of uh, what the market is doing and uh, make sure they adjust quickly enough uh, because any delay could cost you way more than what a buyer's agent might charge you in terms of fees. So there you go, positive news in terms of borrowing capacity and hopefully loosening and lending. It'll be interesting to see what the public hearings that ASIC are running uh, next month reveal, uh, but let's hope it's uh, a little bit more of a common sense approach, particularly in respect to living expenses. Uh, of course, if you've got any uh, questions about borrowing capacity or what I've covered, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, the links are on in the blog uh, on the website. Uh, and until next week, bye for now.